morning. Our Belize team um, landed safely yesterday. We got um, two waves of people going down. Some people are there for one week. Some people are there for two weeks. Um, so we got our first set down there. Um, they're going to be doing some live videos on Facebook. Any Facebook users out there? All right. Congratulations. <laughs> anyway, I encourage you to check it out. Um, when you get an opportunity, we'll put those uh, videos on our um, on the church's Facebook page. So make sure you look there. In fact, we're going to watch one that they did last night. It's a little dark because it was in the evening when they did it, but the audio is pretty good. So we can go ahead and roll that. Hey, Liberty. We are in Belize, and we just wanted to say hello Hi. and let you know what is going on here. Doing some video blogs throughout the two weeks here to let you know what's going on instead of writing out blogs that you have to read. You're going to get to see what's going on. There's Brian and Aurora. Here's Hustis, our bus driver and awesome friend. And here is our hotel over here. And there is the bay. It's awesome. Gretchen, favorite part of the day so far? That is awesome. <laughs> Brian, how was the food tonight? The food was great tonight. Hot tamale. Hot tamale. Tomorrow morning, we are going to have church service. Brian and Aurora are going to share their testimony. Faith's going to share her testimony. It's going to be awesome. We're going to get into the Word, and we are going to worship. And then later in the afternoon, we're going to go door to door, and we're going to share the gospel with some people. So, we just wanted to let you know how to pray for us. Um, pray for us tomorrow morning at church. We are excited to share Jesus with people here. And pray that we get some sleep tonight. About half the team didn't go to bed last night. And the other half of us uh, probably only got a couple hours of sleep. So, pray for energy and pray that we're able to sleep well tonight. Thank you, Liberty. We love you. We'll talk to you soon. Love you. Bye. Oh, let's do that again. I was looking at me. Bye. Bye. So, um, a couple of people are sharing their testimony this morning at Elohim Community Church. Um, Justice is going to be um, preaching, which I think we need to get Justice up here sometime, right? How do the Belize people get to hear him first, right? What, what's he doing in their pulpit before he's up here? So we're going to work on that, too, once he gets back. But let's pray for them um, for the next couple of weeks. Let's pray. God, thanks that we can... Um, send forth your word to other countries. We thank you for the willingness of the people that have gone. I know there's some different health concerns, Lord. I pray that you'd be with um, with that, Lord. Let nothing pop up, God. Keep everyone healthy as they're there. And Lord, let them be bold in your spirit to share the word. They said they're going out door to door today, um, preaching the gospel. And I pray that your spirit uh, would go forth before them and would prepare the hearts of the people that the word would be planted deep in those people's hearts, God, that they would respond in faith to you. I pray you'd keep them um, safe during their time there, Lord. Keep your hand of protection upon them. I pray that you would um, guide their path, Lord, wherever you want them to go, God. You would guide them each step of the way. And we do pray for the testimonies and the preaching of your word at Elohim Community Church today, that it would go forth in the spirit and in power, Lord, for your glory. Amen. All right. Well, I want the word to go forth in power today, too. Amen here? Is that good? 
You guys asleep today or something? Man. All right. We need jumping jacks? <clears throat> we don't want to see that. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> God is good to give us his word. Amen. It speaks to all issues of life. To the extent that the word addresses any subject, then I'm duty-bound to address that subject, and I will address it, including unpopular ones, including taboo ones, including ones that the culture says we shouldn't address, including ones that even some preachers, sadly, uh, don't think should be addressed. So, to the extent that the word addresses it, I'm going to address it today as one of those days. Um, One of the things you might have heard about recently uh, was the case in California about pro-life health clinics. Did anyone hear about that? Okay. Um, The case uh, was the National Institute of Family and Life Advocates versus Becerra, and it um, involved a California law which was called the Reproductive Freedom, Accountability, Comprehensive Care, and Transparency Act. And this is what, and it actually passed. So it was law in California, uh, which was immediately challenged. But this is what the law required. It required um, pregnancy centers, um, just like Thrive, that we support, uh, to disseminate a notice to women coming to them for help that California had programs that could provide them immediate free or low-cost access to abortion. Um, The law even stipulated the size of the notice and the size of the font that had to be used on the notice, 48-point type. That's pretty good size. Um, And it also had to be displayed on any of their digital advertising. In fact, during the oral arguments, um, which it worked its way up, so it became law in California, then it went, it was challenged to the um, circuit, the Ninth Circuit Court, which is very liberal. So of course they upheld it. Um, It went to the Supreme Court. So during the oral arguments before the Supreme Court, um, California's Deputy Solicitor General was asked if under the law, Um, A group that put up a billboard, so you're driving down the highway, you see a little billboard, and it said, choose life, would would that billboard be required to include the notice? Just two words on the sign, choose life. Would they have to put this notice? And after he dodged every single question and they finally forced him to answer it, he said yes. So two-word billboard, it would have to have this notice on it. Had it gone into effect, it would have shut down many, many pro-life women's centers because these ladies would have been required, the the people helping there, um, to display the sign, to hand out a piece of literature to every lady that came in that said that they could get abortions right down the street and there's better and safer alternatives than what the clinic is providing. What was the penalty um, if these pro-life places didn't abide by the law. It was $1,000 for each instance where they failed to hand out a pamphlet to a lady. Now, you realize the can of worms this would have opened up. It didn't pass, praise the Lord. Five to four on the Supreme Court ruled in favor of the pro-life centers. But do you realize the uh, amen, right? Which is really sad if you followed it, and I know some of you did, It looked like the vast majority of the Supreme Court justices were going to rule against California in favor of the pro-life. So the fact that it was 5-4, I'm very thankful it passed. It's a little disturbing um, that four did not find it convincing enough 
that this would be something that should be allowed. Because think about the can of worms uh, you open up here. How emboldened would the state feel to pass future laws regarding something of this? If it, think about it. If, if it can require nonprofits to hand out whatever information the state dictates, well, guess what churches are? We're nonprofits, all right? So if it can require that of nonprofits, um, it's not too many steps away to start requiring churches handing out whatever the state deems necessary. Now, I know some of you might be thinking, it, yeah, that's, now, don't think it can't happen, all right? Don't be fooled. That, that being at that point is only maybe four or five steps away from where this law would have started. And, you know, the state is very wise. Satan is very wise. And he doesn't just go for the jugular all at once every time. Sometimes he does. But he's also very crafty, right? He's wise. He's smart. So baby steps sometimes is the way to achieve a victory. And this would have been the first step of many steps towards achieving something against churches. Um, <clears throat> so the case was argued on the basis of free speech. Um, and they argued it was discriminatory and obviously a violation of free speech. 5-4 ruling. Um, so what, what was the effect of the ruling? Um, the Supreme Court sent it back to the lower court which, with instructions that assures that the law will never take effect. Um, because it's a Supreme Court ruling, it essentially affects the entire land, all the United States. So there were similar cases in Maryland, Illinois, and Hawaii, as well as other states that were working their way up through the system on similar grounds, and it effectively takes care of all those cases. So it wasn't just a, a victory for California. Um, it was a victory in Maryland, in Illinois, Hawaii, and really a victory for the United States, and really a victory for babies everywhere. So pregnancy care centers are free to continue their important work without fear that the government will force them, in the words of one of the justices, to drown out their message. Um, now, <clears throat> one of the Supreme Court justices, Anthony Kennedy, he's usually this, what's called the swing vote. Anytime there's a 5-4 de decision, it's almost guaranteed Anthony Kennedy was the one that swung the decision one way or the other. Um, and it usually comes down to him. He announced his retirement, and he's retiring at the end of this month, which gives um, President Trump the opportunity to elect a second Supreme Court justice um, in his term. What has the reaction been by people um, regarding his retirement announcement? Well, people on the pro-choice side, they're freaking out. Um, here's a couple of the headlines. <clears throat> Actually, don't show the first headline yet. Um, did he already show it? Okay, that's all right. First, a couple quotes. One of the senators, um, uh, one of the U.S. senators said this, this is a disaster for everyone who believes in we the people vision of the Constitution. I'm worried about Roe v. Wade. The executive vice president of Planned Parenthood said this, the significance of today's news cannot be overstated. The right to access abortion in this country is on the line. 
For more than 40 years, access to safe and legal abortion has been the law of the land, and the right to control your body is an essential American liberty. With this vacancy, Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell hold the balance of the court in their hands, and with it, the legal right to access abortion in this country. President Trump has promised to only appoint justices who will overturn Roe v. Wade. The idea of Trump having his choice to fill another vacancy is terrifying for not only abortion rights, but for our ability to live free from discrimination in this country. Planned Parenthood and our 11 million supporters call on the Senate to reject any nominee who would strip people's individual rights and freedoms. So that was the senator and the executive vice president. Here were some of the headlines that came out. First from USA Today, Anthony Kennedy's Supreme Court retirement threatens abortion rights even if Roe survives. Another title from the Daily Beast, with Supreme Court Justice Kennedy gone, abortion and LGBT rights are next. Another one, the New York Times said, the departure of Kennedy, firewall for abortion rights, could end Roe v. Wade. And then from The Guardian, it says, abortion rights in dire immediate danger as Kennedy retires. You know what I say to that? I say amen. I say yes. Let's end this evil atrocity. And let's stamp it out. And let's put planned parenthood out of business. But here's my concern as I've reflected on Kennedy's retirement. My concern is that on this issue, we'll get complacent. Because if things go as they seem to probably go, then the next justice will be a conservative pro-life justice. And so the vote, that 5-4 vote, is oftentimes going to be 5 on the conservative side of things. Um, and I think what we can end up doing is thinking, well, that's good. We've been given a reprieve, and we're OK. And we'll ease up, and we'll slow down, and we'll shift our focus elsewhere. So I want to make a couple points um, regarding this. First, don't get comfortable now. If the tide is turning against abortion, and all the surveys that I see say people's opinion across the nation is slowly changing, um, now is not the time to stop the fight against abortion. Okay? With, if we are thinking that we are inching closer and closer to victory, then if you take the, the battle imagery, if we're on the battlefront, then we've we got to make that last push because battle, the battle has not been won. There is a lot more battles to fight and a lot more wars to occur. So my first point is don't get comfortable. Don't get comfortable. Look at Galatians chapter 6. It says this in chapter 6, verse 9. Let us not grow weary of doing good. Let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we will not give up. So don't let up now. Now is the time to be more vigilant than ever. Uh, abortion is an atrocity, but here's the danger. The danger is that because it's been around and most of us have grown up with it, we subtly start to accept it as a way of life. 
instead of something we must, we must fight against and not accept. It, it might be this way, but it's not the way it's supposed to be. It's not the way it's supposed to be, okay? God created the world and had it, it had a perfect order to it. And then sin comes and it distorts it. And then fallen man involved in that picture is fallen. And so that picture of his created perfect world becomes more distorted and more distorted and more distorted and more distorted. So just because it is this way doesn't mean it's supposed to be this way. So don't ever think this is the way it's supposed to be. We need to make that clear to ourselves and to others. Don't ever be comfortable with abortion being legal in this land. Just because something is legal in this land does not mean it's right. Just because it's legal doesn't mean it is righteous in God's eyes. And I feel at times, many times, other contemporary social issues have overshadowed this social issue of abortion. And many of those issues are more culturally acceptable to fight for. It's not culturally acceptable to fight against abortion. If you fight against abortion, you will get pushback. You will get resistance. But you know what I say? Stand your ground. Stand your ground. Okay? It is not popular to be a true follower of Jesus. It's just not the times we live in. So you're going to have to stand and be counted at some point on a whole number of different issues. And the way our nation is going, unless there is a revival sent, we are slipping further and further and further away from the truth of God's word. So you're going to have to stand your ground. And this is one of the issues you're going to have to stand your ground on. It is not worth compromising on this issue. Stand your ground. I remember when I first got saved. I was in college, um, and I was pro-choice, right? I was a college student. I guess I'm supposed to be. And I remember being at a Bible study, and the leader talking about the issue of abortion. And I was like, well, he's talking about abortion like he's actually against it. I'm like, that's kind of weird. And so I remember walking out of that Bible study, I was like, I was more confused than anything. And I, and, but I, I clearly realized that this Bible study leader who I looked up to uh, was, was against abortion. And so I remember going, uh, walking back to my dorm, and I was like, I got to rethink this issue. I'm going to have to rethink it. So what did I do? I went to the Word to see what the Word had to say. What did the Word have to say on this issue? And it was pretty clear. So some things are worth fighting for. Uh, in, in the college and career group that I teach at Change the Globe, when we talk about different things, and we talk about a whole lot of different things, we had some good conversations um, Thursday night, um, but a lot of times, I'll, you know, if we're, we're debating some small topic, I'm just like, that's not, a, that's not a hill worth dying on. It's not a hill worth, it's just not worth losing friends over. It's not worth going to war over. It's just, it's just such a small, it's not even a secondary issue. It's a tertiary issue. It's just so distant, it's not worth drawing your line in the sand, okay? Um, but, but this issue of abortion, this is a draw a line in the sand issue. This is one of those hills that's worth dying on. This is one that we draw a line and we say, we're not moving. We're standing our ground. Why is that? Well, that leads to my second point. It's a spiritual battle. This is a spiritual battle. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. 
Ephesians 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. All right, let me read that again. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So it's not against flesh and blood. That's not our fight. That's not our fight. That's not where the battle is occurring. It's a spiritual battle. So our enemy is not the pro-choice party. Our enemy is not your pro-choice congressman. Our enemy is not Planned Parenthood. Our enemy is not our pro-choice coworker, our neighbor. Our enemy is Satan and all his minions, all his demons. That's the enemy. That's the real enemy. So when we're doing battle... You know, sometimes I wish, like, the Lord could open up our, our eyes, our spiritual eyes, to see what's going on around us. I think we'd do a lot more praying, first of all. But we'd have a better appreciation of true spiritual warfare. Because it's going on everywhere. Even in our own lives. It's going on. Okay? So we need to put on the armor that Ephesians 6, that Paul tells us about here, and fight. Put on the full armor of God. Look back at verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, a lot of times when we think about the enemy and him attacking us personally, you know what we think about? We think about him tempting us. That's primarily how I think most people think about what, Satan, what is Satan's job? What is he targeting me for? Well, it's, it's to tempt us to sin. That's one of the ways. But one of the ways that he does it, I don't even think we think about it much, is to deceive us. To deceive us. Now, how many of you out there want to be deceived? Okay? Ain't no hands. You don't want to be deceived. And one of the things about deception is it's kind of hard to figure out if you're deceived because if you were deceived, you don't want to be deceived and you'd stop being deceived. Right? But we can end up being deceived and Satan is the deceiver. He will deceive us on all sorts of different things and have us believe all sorts of unbiblical things. He's very happy to have us believe unbiblical things. Very happy to have our worldview not be according to God's word. He's the deceiver, and he will deceive us in many ways. It is very helpful and good to stay in this word because this is our sword. This is the sword right here. The sword of the Spirit. This is our way that we battle the spiritual battle. So if we, want to, if we don't want to be deceived, this is the primary way right here. Know this word truly. So <clears throat> my point is this. There's a battle going on. We've got to put on the armor. We've got to fight. Look at Proverbs 29. Proverbs 29, verse 2 says this. When the righteous increase... The people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people groan. There's been a whole lot of groaning in this land. And let me be clear we don't have many civic leaders that can truly be considered righteous. Some of them are making good decisions, some of them are not. But God is using all of them, all of them, to accomplish His purposes. Um, I've told you before, I'm kind of a news junkie. I can't say that anymore, because I'm not a news junkie anymore. Um, (laughs) 
uh, I might be again at some point, but about two months ago, I just went, I went cold turkey and stopped um, because I was so fed up with both sides. I just felt like there was all this rhetoric and all this finger pointing and all these attacks on people's character and both sides say they want certain things and don't seem to ever try to accomplish uh, their intended goals. So I was just like, I'm done. I was like, I'm done. So I, I have been done. Um, and I remember Justice, I had told Justice this, and he came up to me a couple weeks ago and was like, um, I know you're kind of taking a break from, from news, but like there's some serious stuff in the news going on. You might want to turn, on, turn it on and, and tune in and find out what's going on. Um, part of the reason I'm bringing up this whole abortion issue is that I don't want our church to be like a Sunday Christian. Uh, you know what I'm talking about when I say a Sunday Christian? Like, they come Sunday, right? And they act all good, and they come with their family, and everything, like, seems in order, and, and dad's real nice, and mom's real nice, and the kids are real nice, and then, and then they walk out the door, and dad's not nice, and mom's not nice, and the kids aren't nice. But, but they, they fooled everybody at church for that few hours, right? And they raised their hands during worship and said amen during the sermon. <clears throat> Um, I, I, don't want us, I don't want us to be a church like that in the sense that I don't want us to just be uh, a January Christian. What do I mean by that? Where we just talk about pro-life issues that concern us just in January. Because that's like pro-life month, right? <clears throat> so we, I don't want us to get to the point where we're just like, oh, we've, just, we've, we've done it and we did our month and we heard a few sermons and, and we're good to go and yay, thrive. Like, I'm, I'm encouraged, first of all, let me say this, I'm encouraged at, at how pro-life this church is. Um, many churches, I get fired for preaching this sermon, all right? That's sad, but it's true. Um, I don't think I'm going to get fired. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I want us to continue to grow in this area. I want us to continue to grow. So I want there kind of be this, this flavor throughout the year, uh, which kind of brings me to my third point. Um, we need to stand in the gap. We need to stand in the gap. Um, we need to stop the breach in the wall where we see the tidal wave of immorality and sin approaching and knocking against it over and over and over and over again. And this is one of those places, this giant gaping hole. Look at Ezekiel. And Ezekiel's kind of putting a beat down on the people. This is the Lord speaking in Ezekiel 22. Let's start in verse 24. It says, Son of man, say to her, You are a land that is not cleansed or rained upon in the day of indignation. The conspiracy of her prophets in her midst is like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They have devoured human lives. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in her midst. Her priests have done violence to my law and have profaned my holy things. They have made no distinction between the holy and the common. Neither have they taught the difference between the unclean and the clean, and they disregard my Sabbath, so that I am profaned among them. Her princes in her midst are like wolves tearing the prey, shedding blood, destroying lives to get dishonest gain. And her prophets have smeared whitewash for them, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, Thus says the Lord God, when the Lord has not spoken." The people of the land have practiced extortion 
and committed robbery. They have oppressed the poor and needy and extorted from the sojourner without justice. All right, so these are the things that God is laying at the Israelites' feet. All right? Much of this is true of us today in our land, even as the prophets are. We have many pastors today who have forsaken their responsibility. Many churches have forsaken their responsibility on these issues of truth and morality. So he goes on. And I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. So Ezekiel saw this wickedness everywhere, and the Lord is saying he needs someone to stand in the gap. And the same is true for us today. I mean, God is very gracious to hold back his hand of judgment from our country. All right, if it was up to me, I would have judged it a long time ago, all right? Thankfully, I'm not the Lord. He's very uh, slow to dispense his anger and his wrath. He's very patient because he wants people to come to repentance. But I don't just want the Sunday Christian in me to just walk out the door and be something else Monday through Saturday. I want the Sunday Christian in me, I want the Sunday Christian in you to be the everyday Christian. And I want to put into practice what I'm hearing. Do you? All right, that's not a rhetorical question. Do you? All right. So if I hear a sermon on evangelism, I mean, I want to evangelize, right? I was going through the drive-thru at Emo's. My Emo's has a drive-thru, by the way. It's kind of cool. Um, but at Emo's Pizza, and the, the, the lady who was giving me her pizza, she had a cross on. And so I was like, I was like, I'm going to ask her about, I'm going to ask her a question. She can't get mad at me because she's wearing that cross. <laughs> and I'm going to point it out to her. <laughs> so I was like, hey, I noticed that you're wearing that cross. I'm like, have you ever read the Gospel of John? I'm thinking, oh, she's going to definitely say yes. She's like, nope. I'm like, well, here, I have one for you. It's, it, it's a great book. Please read the first three chapters. I think you'll be amazed at what Jesus has to say to you. So she, like, she takes the book, and she's like, uh, thank you so much for the, uh, 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 and she kind of looks at it. She doesn't know what to call the little track, basically. <laughs> so I'm like, for the booklet, right? And she's like, yes. But I'm trying to put into practice uh, what I'm learning. And I want you guys to put into practice what you're learning, all right? Whether it's here, whether it's in life group, whether it's in Bible study, at the prayer group, at the men's Bible study, the women's Bible study, your own personal study, all those things. But put into practice is my point. Um, when I hear about foreign missions, I want to participate in the mission trip. When I hear about a VBS that we're doing to needy youth, I want to participate in the VBS to needy youth. I want to help out. All right? We have ownership. If you remember, you got ownership here. So take ownership. You're here. You're serving. You're involved. You're investing. You're ministering. You're being ministered to. My point in some of this is that I want us to have a pro-life flavor throughout the year. Um, January is awesome. It's a highlight of my month. Christmas has ended, but it's like a second Christmas to hear the amazing work that Thrive is doing, the good work that they're doing. We're blessed to have Diane and many others in this church hands-on directly 
helping out. Um, but to keep that flavor, uh, we're going to be doing something in October called the Life Chain, which we've done before. And it's time for us to bring it back. Um, it's a simple thing we can do. We can stand outside for 30 minutes with the sign, a pro-life sign. Can you guys stand for 30 minutes? Yep, right? Well, some of you might not be able to. Okay, we can get you a chair. Um, but stand outside for 30 minutes after church. It's just like, it's a small thing. It's not, it doesn't necessarily have to be a, a giant thing to take a stand. Um, it's those little things done by many people that add up to big things and make an impact. The life chain is one example. And the elders are prayerfully seeking what other pro-life things we can do throughout the year. Why, why discuss this? Why devote a sermon to this issue? Why encourage us to continue to press on and fight? Um, some people might say there are other important matters, and there are other important matters. Um, I've addressed some of them in previous weeks. There's other pressing matters. There's other issues to be addressed. That's true. Um, this stain of our culture is the stain that's, that's on our face. And it's a stain that our culture parades around as if it's okay. And we must stand against the stains of this culture. That's what we're called to do. Stand against the stains of this culture. Um, I'll stop discussing it and preaching on it when people stop doing it. Fair? Uh, what's my reason for talking about this? Well, I have about 50 million reasons. All right? One for each baby that's been aborted. And when our culture says certain sins are acceptable, the church has to stand up and say no. And the culture's like, you guys always talk about abortion, and you always talk about homosexuality. No, the truth is, you guys always talk about abortion, and you guys always talk about homosexuality, and parade it around as if it's okay, and you put us in the position of having to address it. We have to address it. If we don't address it, then silence is like an affirmation of it. If the church doesn't address these issues, then we are giving them our silent okay. And that is not acceptable. So whatever the culture is going to hold up and shove it up, we're not, we're not talking about other subjects that the culture doesn't hold up. Why? Because the culture knows that certain things are wrong, at least at this point. That, too, might slide at some point. But we address those issues. Why? Because those are the issues that people need to be instructed on. People need to be taught about. People need to be enlightened by God's word on what it has to say. Which leads me to, well, I'm coming up to that point, a point before that point. The law, let me be clear, the law doesn't save. No law we could pass is going to save anyone. Salvation does not come from legislation. Um, literally. It can't change your heart. All right? That's why parents, you got to be careful, right? Give all the best laws in your home. It doesn't mean your kid's heart is going to change. It can shape external actions, but it can't change the internal. The law didn't save the Israelites, right? It won't save us. Not the laws of the Bible or the laws of our land. Uh, the law will not turn our country around. We could, pass, we could come here. Be, wouldn't that be cool? Not really, but we could just come up with our own laws here and make them the laws of the land. That wouldn't change people's hearts. So law has something that it's supposed to do. Actually, it has a few purposes that it's supposed to do. Um, 
But one of them I want you to see in Galatians 3. Why do we pass laws that honor God? Look at verse 23 of Galatians 3. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law. That doesn't sound very good. I don't want to be captive. We were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law, the law, excuse me, the law was our guardian. Yours might say tutor, it might even say pedagogue. The law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. What was the purpose, one of them, of the Old Testament law? To point people to Christ. So that word, guardian, tutor, pedagogue, the Romans back then would literally have a person who was in charge of their kid's education, just like we call them tutors today, the fancy word was pedagogue, who would make sure they went to their classes and learned their material. It would lead them along the way to the school, lead them back from school, all right? And Paul is drawing on that to say that's what the law was supposed to do, lead them to Christ, right? Point out all the moral failings of how the law can't save us and how fallen we are, and then realize our need for redemption through Jesus. So we pass laws in our country that reflect God's laws and God's truth, so that even the laws of our land point out moral failure and encourage people that they can't meet the requirements and they need a savior. Which leads to my fourth point. 1 Peter 4. In verse 17 it says this, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is hardly saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? I remember reading these verses for the first time years ago, and I was like, holy cow, I had to read it again. It says judgment is going to begin at the household of God. It's going to begin with us. You know what that means? We need to make sure we have our own household in order. We need to make sure that where we're at with the Lord is a righteous area. It means, it means sin in our lives needs to be done away with. Because we don't want to be finger waggers, right? Telling everyone else what they should and shouldn't do and waving our finger at them. Isn't that just hypocrisy if we're not living it out in our own lives? Okay? There is sin we know we do. There's sin we, we don't know we do. But I, I think there's sin that we deny that we do. Okay? So some of us, we're committing sin, and we actually we know we're doing it. It's not cool. Breaks God's heart. You need to repent. Then there's sin we don't know we do. We don't, we don't know we're doing it. Right? God hasn't revealed. We're deceived, like I talked about earlier. We're deceived. But then I think there's also sin that we're doing that we deny we're doing it. It's sin. We're denying it's sin. So what do I mean? Well, <clears throat> we're deceiving ourselves again. And if we got brothers and sisters coming to us and calling us out on different things, and our answer is, well, it's not that big a deal. Um, and they're saying, yeah, it kind of is. Guess what? It kind of is. Okay, because our brothers and sisters in Christ love us enough to come and confront us 
in areas of our life. It never feels good. I don't like it. But I'm glad people do it. It's a biblical thing. And when they point it out to us, we need to receive that. And if, if different people are coming and talking to us and calling us out on our sin and we're denying it, that's a dangerous place to be. Because we're deceived. So others tell us it's sin, we don't listen. Others tell us, tell us it's sin, we disagree. Um, some believers sin, and it doesn't even bother them. I hope that's not the case for anybody here. I hope your sin bothers you. I hope it greatly bothers you. If it doesn't, that's not a good sign. We need a Savior. Amen? We need a Savior to save us from our sin. Our known sin, our unknown sin, our hidden sin, our open sin, and sin we're in denial about. And we do have a Savior. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And God sent his son to die for you. And God wants you to repent of your unforsaken sin, sin that you're holding on to. And we want God to do a work out there in his country, in this land, in his world. But do we want him to do a work in here? Because that's where it needs to begin. Needs to begin right here. So let's clean up our own act first, like today, and get right with the Lord. The Lord has been very, very gracious to our country, and we need to be continue. We need to continue to be salt and light. All right, out there, but but also in here, and we need to be willing to do the unpopular. We need to be willing to receive pushback when we stand our ground. We need to be willing to stand in the gap and contend for truth. Contend for truth. And we need to stand for those who can't stand for themselves. We need to hear God on this issue and then act. Let's pray. Lord, pray for your hand conviction upon anyone who might need it today. Wherever people might need to repent of their sin, they would repent. We thank you, Lord, that your mercies are never ending and that your blood cleanses us. We thank you that you say the righteous man falls and stumbles seven times and gets back up again. And it's you lifting us up, Lord. So If anyone needs lifting up, God, remind them that you do that. And I do pray, God, for our nation, where it's at. I do pray you'd stop this atrocity of abortion that has been in our land and defiling it for 45 years, God. I pray you'd bring healing to those, Lord, and mercy and love to those who have made that decision to have an abortion, God, that they'd find true forgiveness in Christ, true healing through you, to know that you are good, and you are merciful, and you are gracious, and that you're slow to anger, and you abound in steadfast love. I pray for Thrive and the many other um, centers out there doing similar work, that you would guard them against the evil one, that you would guard their reputations, that you would give them wisdom 
and the different policies they have in place and the different actions they take. We thank you, God, that they're the gap standers, that we can see their example and follow. I pray for your protection upon the people in our church directly involved with Thrive, Diane, Susie, Catherine, and others, God, that you would be with them. There's a target painted on their back, God, so I pray they'd hold up their shield of faith to protect them. I pray, God, that whatever part you want us to play, this is the Holocaust of our time, God, that we would gladly play that role. We'd gladly step into the gap wherever you point. We'd gladly take the opportunities that we get to stand our ground, to stand in the gap, God. So use us individually. Use us as a church to stand firmly, Lord, for your truth and your ways, God. Empower us, Lord. We can't do this on our own. It's an epic fail whenever we try. Empower us by your spirit to be able to do these things. We pray this with the authority we have in your son, Jesus. Amen.